from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 20, and can be found on page 1501 in your pew Bible. Matthew records, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. This, uh, this week's gospel comes right after the Beatitudes that we read in last week's gospel. And these two gospels they lie right at the beginning of that long section of Matthew's account of the gospel that is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount in his chapters 5 through 7. And we will uh, revisit um, Jesus' sermon twice more um, before we get to Reformation Sunday. Excuse me, Resurrection Sunday. Last week's gospel, it uh, provides important context for the Sermon on the Mount. That is, that the Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to begin his account this way. And you'll recall prior to the sermon, I mentioned that there's stories in the Bible that we've heard before, and we kind of go into autopilot. Do you remember that part where we go, oh, the Beatitudes, and then 
we maybe not pay attention. So I'm going to ask you to pay attention right now. Matthew, in Matthew 5, 1, 3, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so on, through the rest of the Beatitudes as we read them last week. Okay, now please notice this. Notice that although there were many crowds, many crowds, it was his disciples who came to him, who came to Jesus. And that means that the Sermon on the Mount is for teaching disciples. His teaching is not intended for the general crowd but for those who believe. His teaching is for the holy Christian church. And in today's gospel, Jesus teaches the church that she is salt and light. And please, 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 please notice this. Notice what, pastor? Notice that Jesus did not say you should be salt of the earth. He did not say you should be the light of the world. He didn't say that, right? He said you are. You are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. It is too often that we take these words as commands, as commands instead of descriptions. We start beating up on ourselves because we are not salty enough or we are not shining our little light bright enough. We make it all about ourselves instead of about Jesus. Now there's an evil threesome out there. The evil threesome is the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. And they want us to believe that the primary goal of Christianity is self-improvement. The focus is the being on the self. And that evil trio wants us to think that being salt and light that being salt and light means living such a perfect life that everyone will want to be just like us. And if we, convince, if we can convince others that the Christian life is really, really great, then they might want to become Christians too. It is our evil foes that want us to believe that the Christian faith is, an about, is about an improved life and that the Bible is a guide. It's a guidebook for better living. They want us to believe that this is the faith, that this is the thought that will be salt and light to others. Don't listen to them. 
This misguided propaganda, it really sounds good at first. It seems almost doable. And, and what a boast it would be. I mean, whoo, if my ego wouldn't fit out that door, if I could pull it off. That pastor can so nice, always. I want to be a Christian. Well, we know that doesn't happen. It seems doable, but it's not. And this is the problem that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees had this. They had taken the, te the teachings of, of Moses and they had twisted them into a law that was doable. And then, and then they pointed to themselves as the ones who did it best. Remember that, that, that story we hear about the man in the praying to God, hey God, I'm, I, do, I tithe, I fast, and I do everything just great, and I'm so glad you didn't make me like that guy over there that's a tax collector. That's pretty ugly, but that's what they did. And the problem is this, that over time, it becomes obvious that no one no one can pull it off. There are days, maybe you can relate. Have you ever had a day when you left the house with a smile pasted onto your face and it had absolutely nothing to do with how you really felt? No? Guess I'm the only one. It had nothing to do with the way I felt how I actually feel because I know and you know this to be true that there are tragedies that strike us to our core there are things like cancer and strokes and heart attacks and accidents on the road and accidents in the house and these things and more they remind us that we are mortal that we have an expiration date and how can we possibly make ourselves salty and shine on our own light when that mortality really hits home? Then, there's these pesky Bible passages. You know, the ones that tell us that we can never live the life of light and salt Isaiah 64, 6. Isaiah writes, the poet writes, all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. Huh. In Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans uh, in chapter 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then this morning and every Sunday morning we say, 1 John verse 1, through 1 and 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth, well, it ain't in us. Paraphrase mine. And then as we examine the Ten Commandments, we realize that we are not going to pull it off. Can't really, especially the way Jesus made them. Oh, you mean I just think my brother is uh, so and such and such and that's murder? Hmm. And just to heap it on, we hear the last verse in today's gospel. Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, 
you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, despair sets in. We realize we will never be salt and light. And once again, we see the wonderful gospel of Jesus twisted into the law. But wait, what did Jesus say? He said, you are the salt of the earth. He said, you are the light of the world. And he said this right after the Beatitudes, that he had just taught them this, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we know that even though we are spiritually poor, spiritually bankrupt, Jesus blesses us as he performs the deeds of God among us and for us. And it is just as the blessings of the Beatitudes depend not on us, but on Jesus. In the same way, it is Jesus who makes us light and who makes us Salt. I got to tell you this. Christianity is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. Instead, it's about Jesus. It's about what he did for us. We do not earn God's blessings but he gives them to us freely for Jesus' sake. We cannot become salt and light. Instead, the word of Jesus makes us salt and light. We are salt and light not by what we do, but by what Jesus does in us and through us. Now, the salt and light begin in Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit inspired St. John to write in John 1, 4 through 5. He wrote, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And from these words, we learn that Jesus is the light of the world, that no darkness can overcome and the Holy Spirit also inspired John to write these words in the Revelation of John. In Revelation 21, 23, you'll remember this. When he's describing the holy city, he says, The city has no need of sun or moon. No need of sun or moon to shine on it, for its lamp is the Lamb. And from these words, we learn that Jesus is the light of the next world as well. Jesus is the light of the world because he is its salvation. Jesus works salvation by fulfilling the law and the prophets, just as he says in the second half of today's gospel. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
And these words tell us that Jesus placed himself under the law. Imagine that. And as Paul told the Galatians, he said in, in Galatians uh, 4, 4 through 5, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children of God. And in this way, Jesus fulfilled the law for us. Fulfilling the prophets also meant fulfilling his role as Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Jesus himself said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. Huh. The light shines out no brighter than when Jesus poured himself out for the forgiveness of sins of the world as he hung on a cross for you and for me. That's Christ and him crucified. And even as the world was plunged into darkness, Jesus, the light of the world, was overcoming the darkness. As he hung on the tree, he earned the light of salvation for us so that we can be free from sin, death, and darkness. And it's by his work on the cross, by his perfect work on the cross, that he gives us his righteousness. And this is the only righteousness, the only righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It is the only righteousness that gains entry into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, the light of the world, triumphed over darkness on the cross. And then three days later, he confirmed that triumph as he rose from the dead, Christ in him crucified. And with his resurrection, he demonstrated that he really is the light of the world. And all his promises will come true. And especially the promise, especially the promise that all who believe in him will have everlasting life. Jesus is the light of the world. By his suffering, death, and resurrection, he has made us the light of the world. All who believe in him have forgiveness, life, and salvation. And you know that we regularly confess every Sunday that we are poor, that we are miserable sinners who have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed, by things we have done and things we have left undone. We confess our sin, and as we confess our sin, he absolves us. He gives us his light, and we regularly come forward to his altar, and he gives us himself as we receive his body and his blood in the bread and the wine. Now, Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
And in his teaching, he further shows how ridiculous it is for salt to lose its saltiness as it is for us to keep Jesus to ourselves. It really makes no sense. And it makes just as much sense for us to keep Jesus to ourselves as it does for us to light a lamp and then put a basket over it and hide it as it it just, it's just silly. It, it, why would we do that, and why would we hide our salvation? We are not, though. I'm not, you're not, super saints who live a life that others may envy. That's not our job. Instead, we are forgiven sinners who have a loving Savior. And as salt and light, we point not to ourselves, but we point to the one whom we attach our hope, who we attach our faith to our Savior. Now, lastly, there is a promise that is hidden away in our Lord's description of us as salt and light. Since I've just laid out for us that we can't do it on our own. We cannot be salt and light without him. He must always be with us. And so, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he works in us and through us so that we are salt and light wherever we go. We are salt and light in our families, as children, as children of our parents, and as parents of our children as husbands and wives, as grandparents, aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, cousins, and in other ways that we can be related to people. We are salt and light in the workplace as employers and employees. We are salt and light in our communities as friends and neighbors, as citizens of a city, a county, a state, a nation. We are light on the racetrack there, Tim. We are, we are light on the golf course. And we are light out on the 405 driving home. Yeah, <laughs> my bulb's dim. I can see that, Iris. Yeah, I try. In all these roles, Jesus has promised to be with us so that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen.